Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. Let's begin with a question. What motivates us and how can we motivate ourselves? Our guest today is a legend in the psychology world, Dan Pink. He's often credited with paving the path for authors of other character-oriented books, including many of the authors who have been on this podcast. And he's so well regarded that at this point, if I see an amazing education organization or nonprofit, I just assume he's on the board. In his groundbreaking book, Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, Dan uses 50 years of behavioral science to overturn the conventional wisdom about human motivation and offer a more effective path to high performance. This episode is incredibly practical, and I've since used it as my go-to guide for when I feel like I'm in a slump. Dan talks about how to design your habits, routines, commitments, self-talk, and projects to increase your drive. So if you want to be more motivated, this is the episode for you. And if you are a manager at an organization, you may want to jump to minute 31, where Dan shares his top five tips for what organizations can do to increase employee motivation. It's incredibly practical and will leave you with new techniques to be inspired. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been uh, looking forward to this. I was very motivated coming out of bed today to uh, talk to you. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. I hope to stay as motivated as you are during the course of this interview. <laughs> uh, that's my that's my task. That's my job. I'll, I'll make sure it happens. So the first question I have for you is is kind of a scenario that I think a lot of people face. Okay. Um, talk. And this is, imagine it's a Sunday morning. Um, you're sitting on the couch and you, for the past month, you've had this writing project that you want to do. And, you know, every, every week you're kind of going through it and being like, oh man, I can't wait till I, Sunday comes and I, I can work on this writing project. But lo and behold, you're sitting there and you're lounging and two hours go by and you're like, shoot, I couldn't do it. And next thing you know, the whole day's gone by, you have Cheez-Its all over your belly you have like a spilled milk carton and everything. Yeah, I've been there. Stuff. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's so often that people have ideas that they're motivated for, projects that they're motivated for, but when rubber meets the road, it becomes difficult to actually act on it. What's going on with this hypothetical person and what sort of strategies can they do and how should they see themselves in this situation? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure. I can t- speak intelligently to what's to what's going to what's going on there. I think there are a lot of things going on. I think one thing, you know, some of the research shows that part of what you're basically talking about procrastination. One one uh, element in procrastination is a sense of fear. Uh, it's fear of failure, uh, fear of not doing something right. Um, but um, having been in that situation many many times, um, uh, I, I think that the there's no single answer to it. There's no single solution to it. But I think that the best solution, is, or I'll tell you what, what I've done, is essentially this, which is to um, essentially to, to schedule it, as weird as that sounds. 
So, you know, we end up scheduled, like you and I scheduled this conversation. And, and if you look at the course of a day, um, we have all kinds of stuff that that's scheduled. And I think uh, we tend to schedule, weirdly enough, um, we don't tend to schedule the most important things that we do, which in this case would be that writing. And so what I would do is I would put, um, I would put something in the schedule and I would have a ping go off in the same way that a ping went off when I knew I had to talk to you. Hmm. Schedule it. Um, and then the other thing that you could do is you could um, uh, sort of take a page from um, you, you could basically take a page from, say, personal training and, and basically make that commitment to somebody else. Say, I'm going to make this I'm going to do this from I'm going to do my writing from this period to this period. And would you please uh, call me and hold me accountable? And so none of those are, you know, again, none of those are, none of those are foolproof and they end up being curiously enough for, um, cause I ultimately with, with what you're doing and, and what I've written about, we're going to talk a lot, I hope about autonomy and self-direction and whatnot, but here I'm actually arguing for a little bit of sort of reducing choice, increasing control at that very, at that very early stage to the point where it becomes uh, a little bit more of a, of a habit. Yeah. And, and I, I also don't, I also think as a writer, I, I think that if you're writing once a week, you're not going to get anything done anyway. <laughs> so you should be doing it every day rather yeah. than write once a week. And then that goes back to sort of the habit formation and stuff right. along those lines. Right. I, before we jump into the autonomy and mastery and, and that, those components, I'd be curious to hear what motivates you? What motivates you now? Uh, getting through the day. Um, I don't. Uh, in, in, in what level? I mean, you know, there's. I think it's a hard question to. I think it's a hard question to answer. Um, you know, I, I think what motivates me in in my work is, or it's probably two things. One would be a sense of curiosity. That's sort of you know, I like. I just happen to like finding stuff out. Um, and so the books that I've written have been written not with any great strategic plan in mind, but have been written because I was curious about something. So I think that's, that's a motivator for me. And the other motivator for me would be, um, just this, uh, uh, feeling that I can always do it a little bit and whatever I do, I can always do it better. So wrote that article. Oh man, I should have done that. I should have done that. Oh, why did I leave out that? So next time around, when I get that other bite at the apple, I'm going to do it a little bit better. Uh, and so that idea of getting better at something to me is a really important motivator. And so when you were starting, uh, when you started writing your book drive, yeah, what were some of the big questions on your mind and what were some of the, the curiosities that were filled? Um, yeah, I guess we'll start there. Yeah. Well, the big question on my mind was this. So, 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 uh, I knew there was this body of research on motivation and my real question was, what does it say? What does it tell us? And that was when it got really interesting because it ended up telling us things that I thought were quite surprising. Uh, it ended up telling us that uh, a lot of these things that we take as natural elements of the universe, rewarding behavior gets you more of it, punishing you gets, gets you less of it, um, are true sometimes, but not nearly all the time. Uh, and, um, and that certain, um, uh, certain kinds of things that we just take as self-evident, which is basically if you take something someone's interested in and add on top of it a contingent reward, they'll get more interested. And it turns out not to be true. Huh. Um, and so, and so, I, so I found in general, um, the question I was asking was basically, what, you know, what, 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 is, what does science tell us about what motivates people? And ended up saying some things that, that overthrew 
um, not only kind of practices out there in the world, but my own belief system. Hmm. What What are some of the ways that the sort of reward punishment um, is used effectively versus some of the ways that it's not? Yeah, well, the most important thing is to sort of get us all, you know, I think there's a lot of nuance here. And one of the most important pieces of nuance is trying to expand the conversation beyond, say, intrinsic and extrinsic and beyond pure reward and punishment. So here's the here's a, there's a key conceptual takeaway in this research is the following, that there's a certain kind of reward that we use in organizations. Uh, social psychologists, economists call it a controlling contingent reward. I like to call it an if-then reward. If you do this, then you get that. If you do this, then you get that. 50 years of social science tells us pretty darn clearly that if-then rewards are extremely effective for simple, short-term kinds of tasks. Why is that? Uh, we love rewards. It's not that like human beings don't like rewards. We love them. They get our attention, but they get our attention in a very narrow way. That narrowed focus is very is, is actually improves your performance if the task is algorithmic, if you're following an algorithm, uh, stuffing envelopes, um, uh, uh, following a script on, at a call center, um, turning the same screw the same way on an assembly line. If the task is algorithmic and the, and the time horizon is relatively short, if-then rewards are very effective. But the same body of research tells us that if-then rewards are far less effective for tasks that are not algorithmic, that require more judgment, creativity, discernment, um, and, and they're less effective for those kinds of tasks. Um, and the reason is exactly the same, that we love rewards. They get us to focus very narrowly. So on certain kinds of things, you want that narrow focus, because you know exactly what you need to do. But let's say you're doing something that is that requires creativity. Well, looking at a problem like this actually works against you. What you really want is what you really want is um, to look at things expansively. So anyway, so the long and the short of it is that if-then rewards are great for the simple and short-term tasks, and not so great for the complex and long-term tasks. And the mistakes that we the mistake that we make is that we use them for everything. You know, that's, that's the big mistake. And so, so that's why, I mean, forgive that long-winded answer, but it's, it's, it's more about, you know, there's some, there's some nuance here. So I'm not against if-then rewards in a blanket way. Some people might be. Yeah. Um, and I can, and there's a fair, that's a totally fair argument there. But to me, it's like, okay, if something works and it's not immoral, keep doing it. Um, but the problem is that it, if then rewards don't work for these more complex creative tasks. So, that, so let's deploy them for the simple short-term things, no problem. But let's go to something else where they don't work. Um, and, and the problem that, that we make, the, 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 the problem that we exacerbate at least, is that when we, when we use them for these more complex creative tasks and they don't work, we don't say, hmm, maybe I should try a different approach. Instead, we say, oh, those carrots didn't work. Let's have more carrots. Those sticks didn't work. Let's have sharper sticks. And, you know, it leads us down the wrong path. And, and, and carrots and sticks being the reward and punishment. Right. And <laughs> yeah. so, and so, and so, so, um, um, and so, you know, what we need is we need a different set of motivators for these more creative, complex tasks, which are basically what people are doing today. So and, it, it, it sounds like kind of going back to our other example. The writing, if you're trying to write every day for once a week, yeah. you might want to use an 
a reward for yourself if you kind of get up, if you schedule, I'm going to write for half an hour every day. Give yourself a reward there because then it's it's not really the creative aspect. It's more just like this is something that I want to get done. And so I'm going to give myself a little candy bar or something after after writing in the specific times. But if you're kind of planning a long-term project, um, you know, writing, doing an app that, you know, requires some creative maneuvering around, something else is required to become more motivating. Would you say that's? Yeah, more, more or less, more or less, because again, I mean, the, the, the algorithmic task in, in writing, in your description there, is um, showing up, mm-hmm. okay? So that's a pretty algorithmic task. Wake up, stand up, uh, open up your computer, turn it on, you know? It's like, it's an algorithm. So, um, uh, so I'm not sure you necessarily need to give yourself like a tangible reward at the end of doing it because I think what will happen is is that it's like think about like exercise. Why do people exercise? Well, they have to get into the habit of doing it. They like the way that it makes them feel. But they sometimes need a little bit of a nudge to go – a little bit of a nudge at the very, very beginning so that they start doing it. And then it's like brushing your teeth. Do people need a motivator to brush their teeth? <laughs> maybe little – Maybe I'm serious. Maybe little kids do. But at a certain point, it becomes it becomes a habit. It just becomes something that you do, and you want to get. I think, especially for writing, you want to get to that point where it's just like, okay, this is what I do from nine to eleven every morning. I write, uh, and all the forces in the universe are going to conspire against you to make you stop doing that. But um, um, I think that's the way to go. Cool. So let's move on to that sort of creative work and the motivating forces for that. What? How right. should one? Uh, see motivation in their life around creative tasks and maybe a, a bigger scale project of creating an iOS app that, you know, you want to have done in two months, you know, what, what are some of the factors and things that you can control to increase your motivation? around? Well, it's interesting because there's some interesting research on deadlines and, and it's a really, really interesting, really, really interesting question. So I, I think that, um, you have to ask yourself, like, why is the deadline two months? All right. What's the reason for that? And, um, and sometimes deadlines can be good motivators. Sometimes they can be less good. And to me, it's really the case of I think that in any uh, I think that in any kind of creative project, there's a point. I think about this in terms of writing a book, in figuring out what the book is saying, in figuring out what you want to write about, in wrestling your material to the ground. I think that's a very heuristic task. It's less algorithmic. I think you have to show up every day to, to do it. What do you I mean think by the, heuristic task? Heuristic means the opposite of algorithmic. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. So so basically the non-algorithmic. Okay. So if you so so that so that is so so doing that kind of stuff, conceiving what you want to write about, wrestling your material to the ground is is heuristic. And I don't think you necessarily need to say, I'm gonna have it all figured out by X date. Um uh, but I still think you have the the habit, the discipline of showing up and working at it. Now, I think there's a certain point, this is my own theory, there's a certain point in, say, writing or other kinds of creative tasks where things shift and they become less heuristic and actually a little bit more algorithmic. And it's there where I think the deadlines can be effective. What's so, an example of that? Okay, so I, w- I would say, okay, so I figured out the, um, um, uh, figuring out the out, figuring out, taking a material for a book chapter, say, Okay, so you have piles of research and interviews. Figuring out sort of what the structure should be is very heuristic task. 
And I don't think that having a deadline on that is often very effective. And there's a lot of research on, on that kind of thing. However, I think at a certain point, if you actually have to write the first draft of the chapter, that at a certain point it becomes less heuristic and slightly more algorithmic. And at that point, having a deadline, I have to finish a first draft by X date, is can actually be very can be very effective. Does that make sense? There's a little bit. There's a, as with all these things, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of nuance. I don't think you say we have to come up with an idea for an app in the next week. I don't think you're going to come up with a great idea for an app. I think you take your time figuring out what your idea is. Um, when it comes to figuring out how it might be structured, you want to take your time on there. Once you have that cracked, I think that it becomes things tilt. You sort of you ride the wave, so it becomes less heuristic, and then a little bit more algorithmic. And at that point, you can impose a deadline. Awesome. Um, what would you say? You know, I know in your book you mentioned that some of the core aspects of motivation are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Right. Um, if one's looking to motivate themselves creatively, how should they think about each of those components? Well, um, you know, I think that you, you want to be, okay, so let's talk about this. So, so let's take each of these, uh, take them one by one. So with autonomy, you want to be in a setting, a workplace setting, where you have some sovereignty over what you do, how you do it, when you do it, and who you do it with. If you're in a very, very controlled environment, you're probably, you're less likely to be able to do creative work. That's autonomy. On mastery, you want to, again, it's the environment. You want to be in a position, you want to be in a setting where you're getting information on how you're doing, you're getting feedback on how you're doing, you're learning and you're growing. On purpose, this is really important, you want to know why you're doing something in the first place rather than um, merely how to do it. How to do it is important. So let's take, let's take, um, let's take, uh, let's take all these things. So let's say you're writing an app, okay? You want to have some, like to say to somebody, from somebody from the outside, you shall work on that app between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. every single day. That's kind of ridiculous. The person should have some sovereignty over when she works on it, right? Okay? So you're writing an app, all right, on mastery. Uh, you want to get feedback. So you want to be able to show your app or you show your code or show how it works, do a short sort of, you know, uh, 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 alpha demo to somebody and say, what do you think of this, right? That's mastery. And then something I think very useful is when you're writing an app and you're stuck, um, you, you know, you don't, you, you do want to say at certain points, how can I solve this problem? How can I do this? But sometimes a better question to ask yourself is, okay, why am I writing this app in the first place? What's the purpose of all of this? What's the point of the whole exercise? And that can help um, uh, break through certain barriers. Hmm. And I can imagine, you know, for a lot of people, asking that purpose question just once may not suffice. You may need to ask why, why, why. Exactly, exactly. But, but not in a way that is, I think you have to deploy it carefully. You know, I think that a lot of times, um, um, I think it's a good question to ask when you're, when you're, when you're stuck. Um, um, and I think it's a good, it's a good, it's a good um, question to ask when you need to go back to first principles. I think that, um, I'm not sure. Maybe I mean interesting. It's a testable proposition. Let's say let's say you're writing a book. I'm not sure every day. Maybe it would be helpful to say every day why am I writing this book in the first place? Mm-hmm. Because I, I fear that the question might be I have no idea, and then you'd quit. <laughs> yeah, but then again, if you if if you get to that place, it's probably not worth writing the book. Yeah, that, that, no, right, exactly, exactly right. What would you say? So here's another scenario. I'd be curious to hear your perspective. Okay. Imagine there are. Um, 
you know, you come come to a workshop, you're mm-hmm. going to be with five college students or mm-hmm. 30 college students for a weekend. It's sort of, are you familiar with uh, hackathons? Sure. So it would be sort of a motivation or drive hackathon where you are teaching students the principles that you coalesced for drive. Right. Um, and and helping them develop the tools and strategies both to motivate themselves and others. What are some okay. experiences you would design that in that really short amount of time would really hammer home, uh, you know, the key points and help them embed it in their own practice? Well, I mean, I think the design principle of something like that would hinge very much on autonomy. So, um, so what I would do is I would say, I, I'm making this up, but I would say, okay, let's say there are three elements here, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I would let people pick which one they wanted to work on for the next 24 hours. So I wouldn't say, you work on this, you work on that. So, so I'd start by being auton- letting them be autonomous. So I'd let people decide um, um, which one they wanted to work on. And then I would give a, uh, a short kind of framing question, okay, depending on the context that it's in. So let, uh, we'd give a short framing question, which is for autonomy. Sort of what is one thing, let's say it's an organization, or I don't know, you have flesh out your scenario for me. Is it an organization or is it people who don't know each other or what's going These on? These are college students at the start of their career. College students at the start of their career. Okay, so um, so I would do, so I would, my, my, the best kind of framing question to me is a question that starts something like this. What is one thing, okay? And I think when you ask people what is one thing, you get you end up getting a better, you end up, uh, it ends up being much more at people's fingertips. So I would say, what is one thing? Um, uh, uh, what is one thing I can do in my job? To it's, it's curious because these people do these people know each other or no? Uh, yeah, they know each other. So how do they know each other? They're they're in, in the same program together. Okay. Okay. So um, um, so what is what is one thing I can do? Um, in my, uh, what, what is one thing I can do in my job to get more feedback on how I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Just frame that question. Okay. Uh, and then have people just brainstorm that and come up with that idea. Um, what is, so then what is, what is one thing we can do to, um, make sure that everybody understands the purpose of our organization? Okay. And just and, and really frame it and, and just frame it like so. Give people some choice in what they're in what they want to work on, and then just ask a framing question of what is one thing we can do, and let people figure out how they're going to do it, whether they want to, and then have some kind of public forum at the very end of it where people offer up their ideas uh, in a very low stakes way, no winners, no prizes, no nothing like that. Um, Sorry, can, and, you, can you repeat that last part? Well, so so offer offer have a public forum, and where people, let's say, twenty four hours later, come back and present their ideas. So you can work in teams or not in teams. So let's say you and I say we're going to come up with an idea for what's one thing we can do to um, uh, get more feed for people to get more feedback on the job, and you and I can put our heads together and we can say. Um, we, we get up there and we do a presentation, a five-minute presentation on um, uh, the importance of starting feedback clubs inside of organizations. So what you do is that you basically do, instead of a book club, you have a feedback club. You don't read anything. What you do is you meet every month and you give each other feedback on how you've been doing. You, you, you sort of explain what you've been working on for the last month and then you give each other. I'm just making this up. 
And so that everybody comes up with their own idea and then presents it to everybody else. So the ideas, the, the, the design principles would be framing a question in a narrow way. What is one thing? And the other one would be giving people a lot of autonomy over how they do it. Awesome. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, taking motivation from another angle, I, I, I understand that you're a father. How, how do you, like, thinking about motivation affect the way that you parent or, like, the way that you kind of go about that? You know, um... I mean, I mean, I actually think these principles are are are, are really are really important in 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 being a parent. I'm not saying I do a good job of it, but I think that that conceptually they're really important. You know, I think that all of us want all everybody who's a parent wants kids who are self directed. Um, let's put it another way. Let's let's go even to a deeper point. So, what's the problem with if then rewards? The problem with if then rewards is not the reward. Okay, that's a little bit of a head fake out there. People say, oh, money is bad. Prizes are bad. That's not what's bad. What's bad is this. If then, if I say to you, if you do this, then you get that. I'm trying to control you. If then is a form of control. And people, people human beings have only two reactions to control. They comply or they defy. And I don't want compliant children, and I don't want defiant children. I want children who are engaged. I want children who are, you know, um, engaged in the world. I don't want them to comply with what I have to say or what anyone has to say, but I don't want them to defy just for the sense of defi- just to sort of fight back against control. What I want them to be is engaged and self-directed. So that's where autonomy plays a huge role in in um, in, in parents. You want most parents want kids who are self-directed, and the way that people become self-directed is if they have opportunities for self-direction. <laughs> And so you can't control people and say, I'm going to have these controlling mechanisms that are going to result in someone being self-directed. <clears throat> doesn't work that way. So I think what you want to do is you want to have, you want to have, you want to err on the side of autonomy and self-direction. Um, second, on, um, on, on mastery, and I the, think and that... The, and the thing is that that might be difficult for parents who feel like they have to control totally. <laughs> their kids because when they're younger, you're... you're you do them. want a little bit more control. Yeah. You do want, I mean, depend. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's control and there's control. There's a certain kind of control that you want for just for safety. Um, um, but, you know, as kids get older, I think that you really want to err on the side of, I think you want to err on the side of autonomy. It doesn't mean that it's purely autonomous, free for all, all the time, but I think your default sh- setting should be autonomy. Uh, when you think about something like mastery, I think that what you want to do is you want to show kids that, you know, that, um, here, here I think the most important thing is not anything that I've written about, but really uh, what Carol Dweck has written about with um, uh, the growth mindset. Uh, so that you want people to you want people to realize that you can get better at something by working at it. Uh, you can get better at something by being persistent. You can get better at something by devoting yourself to trying to get better at it. That there's not, you know, that you're not um, your your innate talent is not your total destiny. Um, and so I think that's really important on mastery. And, and I think the two are paired because I think that if, you know, most kids will want to master something, but I don't think you say to a kid, okay, you're playing the violin, you're playing basketball and you are dancing. I think you let the kid, so, you know, so you let the kid autonomously choose what he or she is interested in, but, you know, help, help that kid learn the benefits of, uh, you know, the joys of mastering something difficult. Um, and on purpose, you know, I really, again, I, I think that, you know, every parent would do well to have, um, 
you know, two more conversations about how, about why kids are doing something and two fewer conversations each week about how they're doing it. So, you know, if a kid asks for help on say a math problem, how do you do this math problem? You know, I think every once in a while it's worth saying, okay, so why, why, why are we studying this part of math in the first place? I think a lot of schools don't do that. Why, why do you study? Why are quadratic equations actually meaningful? Why do, why should you even care about it? And um, I think it's important to address those kinds of questions. So I think it's pretty, it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to take these three broad principles, autonomy, mastery, and purpose, and apply them in this, the realm of family and, and parent-child relations as well as in the world of work. How do you see relationships in general playing into motivation? I mean, I, I know a lot of the times, uh, and this might be more of my personality, but I'll be working on a project and I'll be talking about it with someone and then uh -huh. I'll, get, I'll get a lot of fire and, and motivation from it. And I'd be curious to hear your perspective on that and also in terms of mentorship and getting advice and getting the best resources for mastery. How do other people play into your motivation? Well, I mean, if you look at, if you look at, so, so a lot of the stuff that I've written about is, has its roots in something called self-determination theory, which is a, a approach to motivation, approach to understanding behavior, uh, fashioned by two legendary figures, a guy named Edward DC and another guy named Richard Ryan. And they talk about autonomy as a component. They talk also about something called competence and they talk about something called relatedness. And what you're talking about in some ways is relatedness. Uh, we do want to be, you know, ha having that uh, 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 connections with others is is from is for most people inherently motivating. And I think it's um, I think it is part of what it is to be human. Now, I do think there are components of it that square with uh, all these other principles. Number one is that you should have some say over who you spend your time with. That's autonomy. Um, mastery is that other, you know, one of the great, one of the reasons I think you might be charged up by something like that is that you are, um, you're getting feedback on how you're doing. You're getting information. Someone has responded. If someone, if you do something and someone says, that's awesome, that feels good, not necessarily because it's praise, but because it's feedback. It's like, oh, wait a second. That's information I need to know that I made progress. And progress is inherently, uh, progress is inherently, uh, motivating, and then the other thing is, is that it might be, you know, not only is it the relatedness and the connection, but I also think that in the example that you're giving, it's also and it's also might be connected to purpose. It's like, oh wow, that's right. That's why I'm doing this in the first place. Because when I work on an app and someone uses it, they get psyched, and that that psychs me up. And so, um, and, and so the you know that that per, I think that per, the, that relatedness and personal connection plays into all three of these components. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. What, what would you say are five of the best practices you've seen organizations do to increase increase employee motivation? And, you know, if you have any case studies or anything specific. Okay, so I'll give you, I mean, five is, uh, so so very quickly on, on five. So one of them is, what I really like are these things called FedEx Days, uh, originally called FedEx Days. This company, Atlassian, an Australian software company, it's sort of like a hackathon, uh, says to its employees on a Thursday afternoon, for the next 24 hours, uh, go work on whatever you want, uh, as long as it's not part of your regular work. So people do what they want, when they want, how they want it. They just have to show the results at the end of those 24 hours. So carving out a certain amount of time for autonomous work is a very, very important practice. I, I like that a lot. Um, um, another thing that I really like is um, for people to um, prioritize a little bit better. Um, 
it goes to some of the things that you were saying. And one way to prioritize a little bit better is to do what Tom Peters calls a to-don't list. So everybody has a to-do list, put on a to-don't list because there are all kinds of things that we do in our lives, in our work lives that, that distract us, suck away our attention, waste our time, and enumerate those things and stop doing them. And you'll end up having a little bit more free time. Um, I, I have found that, um, that, as I mentioned to you earlier, that in terms of self-motivation, that actually, again, it's weird, but it's sort of autonomous control in a sense. Is that if is 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 really scheduling things? So when I write a, and I mentioned that earlier. So when I write a book, when I'm working on a book, that's what I do in the morning, all right. And I schedule that time in a way that I would schedule a phone call like this, schedule a doctor's appointment, whatever. And now, what's uh, well, the reason I call it autonomous control is that it is somewhat rigid, and that you have to show up at these certain points. It's autonomous because I decided it. It wasn't someone saying you have to show up here, Pink, at a certain amount at a certain time. So, um, so, so I think that in terms of self motivation, scheduling is is uh, really important. Um, uh, I think that people, let's take on mastery. I think that people should be doing their. Um, um, I think people should be doing their own performance reviews at some level. So every month, the beginning of the month, set out your goals. What do you want to learn? What do you want to accomplish? At the end of the month. Look over the list. Give yourself feedback. Um, this idea that you have to that feedback only can come from other people, I think, is 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 short sighted. You want to be able to come up with ways to give yourself feedback. Uh, if you look at something like um, uh, if you look at something like um, if you look at something like purpose, um, depending on the context, I think there are a lot of like really really interesting different really different things that you can do. So if you work in an organization, you know, ask people to write on a card. You know, ask them, what's the purpose of this organization? Have them write on a card. See what they think. Uh, you, you, you know, um, and what you'll find, that's a very good test of whether you're actually aligned on a common purpose. Um, let's say you're at a school. What's the purpose of the school? Have the people write on a card. What's the purpose of the school? And just, you know, look up, read over the cards. See if people are actually have a common sense of what the actual purpose of the exercise is. Another thing you can do to check the health of the organization is an idea I got from an old employer of mine named Robert Reich, who talks about the pronoun test, uh, where if you, you want to test the healthy organization, listen not only to what people say, but how they're saying it. Do they talk about your organization? When they talk about your organization, do they say, we did X, Y, and Z, or do they say they did X, Y, and Z? Organizations where people talk about their organization as we. I think it's true for an education institution. Do people at the students, uh, teachers at the school talk about we, or do they say they? Um, so there are lots and lots and lots of things that people can do, small, granular things that are at people's fingertips that can help them get a little bit better at these things. What, what are some of the unanswered questions you have about motivation? Oh my God! There's so many of them. Uh, <laughs> Some of the top questions. You know, I, I you know, I think that one, um, you know, among them are. Um, I don't think we have a very good handle on what the, what if any, the differences are cross culturally. Uh, my instinct in my reading the research so far is that the, the cross cultural differences are, for, are are less than we might think, but that could be wrong. So, what are the differences in motivation? I don't think we have a good handle on how um, a very good handle at all on the extent to which motivation changes over time in terms of where people are in their life? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, um, uh, I don't, um, 
and, and I think that I, and I would like to know more about this this question of um, of relatedness as um, relatedness as a motivator. Um, I might have in my own writing given that a little short shrift. Anything else? Any words of wisdom or thoughts to conclude? Uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, this is not, you know, I guess if there's any concluding thoughts, it would be like, this is really, you know, I, I don't think it's all that complicated. You know, let's go back to kids for a second. We were talking about kids earlier. So, you, you know, think about a, a two-year-old or a four-year-old. Find me a two-year-old or four-year-old who's not intrinsically motivated anywhere in the world. A, four, a two-year-old or four-year-old who's not active and engaged and curious. That's how we are. And I, and I think that, you know, that all these things, and DC and Ryan's work make this clear too, that the sense of having some sovereignty over what we do and how we do it, getting better at something that matters, knowing why we're doing what we're doing, I think it's part of what it is to be human. And, um, and so I think what we, can, what we ought to be doing is configuring our organizations, our education institutions, any kind of project we're working on, to go with the grain of human nature rather than against it. I think it works better and I think it's more fun. Awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate the... Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Fun. And uh, if you want to check out Dan's stuff, you can see Drive, also The Adventures of Johnny Bunko, any other sort of things that people might want to check that out. Just, you can just go to my website, which is danpink, D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com, danpink.com, and all kinds of stuff is there. Awesome. All right. Thanks. All right. All right, other Dan. Take care. <laughs> bye. All right. Bye.